Amen. Thank you, praise team. That's a beautiful song, isn't it? Great is thy faithfulness. That's a wonderful promise for all of us. Well, it's good to have you here in God's house today. We are certainly glad you're with us to worship with us. This is Father's Day, and I'm going to do a message on fathers. I thought that would be appropriate. I hope you felt honored today getting the free donuts. Uh, we tried to figure up something really nice that you didn't appreciate. Uh, what do you get a dad? You know, I was thinking about that. Uh, my kids ask me every year, what do you want, dad? I don't really have nothing. I don't really have nothing that I ask for, and I just say, uh, why don't you just get me armor all? You know, armor all do it. You know, armor all can cover all sins. You know, you just put that armor all on there. I love armor all. I got tens of cans. I got tennis balls and armor all. That's what I got for my kids uh, last Father's Day. But uh, anyways, we just want to do something simple to say we appreciate you. And I, I, did we even have you stand? I was in the back. Did we have you stand? Okay, all the dads stand. I can't believe we didn't do that. Okay, let's have all the fathers stand at this time. I want to thank you. Let's give them a round. That's wonderful. Appreciate that, Dad. You can be seated. Um, just a wonderful tribute to fathers and the power and the importance of fathers. That's what I want to speak to today. I've entitled this message today, Dad, a lifelong journey. Dad, a lifelong journey. So I want to preach this message here this morning. I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis 49. Genesis chapter 49. I want to read just a few verses from here. I was going to do my whole sermon on chapter 49 and then kind of got sidetracked and went in a different direction, but I'm still going to use some aspect of it. Genesis 49, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, then I'm going to drop down to verse 28 and read to the end of the chapter there. Stand with me now. We're going to read God's Word together. Follow along as I read. Genesis 49, verse 1. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. Now, we're not going to read all of this. Go down to verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, every one with a blessing appropriate to him. Then he charged them and said to them, I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which... My fought, which Abraham brought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite for a burial site. There they buried Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and there they buried Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, and there I buried Leah, the field and the cave that is in it, purchased from the sons of Heth. When Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed, he breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. You may be seated. Every father knows that it's difficult sometimes to know what is the right thing to say at the right time. And I, I got a few phrases here that uh, dads who know to say the right thing at the right time, and I thought you'd enjoy hearing some of these about great dads. If you heard this, you're probably a father, or you said this, okay? When I say no, I mean no. Number two, I'll tell you why, because that's why. Number three, I'm your father, that's why. Number four, as long as you live in my house... You'll live by my rules. If all, number five, if all your friends want to jump off the bridge, does that mean you do it too? Mm. Number six, if you want something to do, I'll give you something to do. <laughs> number seven, I know it's your game, but your uncle and I are playing it right now. <laughs> 
Number eight, a pet? Why do you want a pet? You got a sister. <laughs> number, five, number nine, if you fall out of that tree and break your leg, don't come crying to me. <laughs> All right, uh, I want to talk about dads today, and I want to talk about the stages of dads. And I've been thinking about this because I'm kind of in the latter stage of a father. The earlier stage, you look at the early stage of a father, and that earlier stage is the earning stage. You got to go at it. You got to go at it like a gorilla. You got to go at it scuffing and fast and busy, and you got to earn to take care of that family and make your money while you can because you're young. You got the energy to do it. Because if you don't do it when you're young, one day your body will betray you. And when your body betrays you, you won't be able to do it anymore. And so that's why you got to earn in that stage. And you got to go at it as hard as you can with all of your strength because you're racing against the clock. You all feel that as fathers, a race against the clock. Now, my children are in their upper 20s and early 30s or mid-30s right now. And as their dad, I have seen a different stage occur in my life. And I want to say this to you, the joys of having grown children. It, it is amazing. I have absolutely loved having grown children. One of the reasons is I'm through disciplining you. I'm through training you. I'm through paying your rent. I'm through paying your tuition. I'm done buying your clothes. And now I can talk to you. I can talk to you. I can have conversations with you where I become transparent and vulnerable. That is one of the most beautiful things about being an older parent. I can be transparent with my kids. I can show you what's right with me. I can show you what's wrong with me. I couldn't do that when you were younger. But now I do that with my children. And in that process, you become their best friend. That's what I love about being an older parent. That doesn't come when they're 7 or 17 or 21. They have to get grown, begin to have their own family. And I'm convinced now more than ever, you'll never fully understand certain things about yourself without understanding your adult child. I want you to think about that. You know why? Because they are you. They are you. And I believe this too, that you'll never fully under, they, they will never fully understand themselves without talking to you. You know why? Because you're in them. You're in them. And I've found these things to be difficult sometimes, and figuring out yourself is a lifelong journey. I'm still learning me, and I'm 60. I'm still learning me. Now, at some level... Dads all live with some level of guilt. Billy Graham, worldwide evangelist, filled stadiums all over the world, spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They asked him at 88 years of age, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do different? And I've shared this for years in my first step class. And I love it because it just really speaks to my heart, and I often want to be reminded of it. He said, I'd do three things differently. By the way, that's a great question to ask somebody older than you. I've asked tons of preachers, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do different? I've taken them out to lunch and asked them that. He said, if I had to do it all over again, I'd do three things different. I'd preach less, 
This is Billy Graham. <laughs> number two, I'd read more. And number three, I'd spend more time with my children. I mean, playing on the floor with them, I've done more. I wish I would have done more of that because I was going all over the world. I wish I would have rode them on my back more. I wish I'd gone fishing, hiking. That's crazy. This man spoke to presidents and kings all over the world, and for four decades in the United States, he spoke into the lives of every president in the United States. But he missed out on the joy of fatherhood. He was gone all the time. That speaks to me. And the reason is, is because sometimes as men, we don't value our presence with our children. Now, we value the presence we give them. And we think because we give them presence that that's what matters. No, no. It's your presence that matters the most. Your presence in their life. Your son values your presence. It's not just your sons that need that, your daughters need that too. I was thinking about this this week. One thing a, a young girl learns in the home is she learns how to read her dad's signals. Because men don't always speak with their language, with their words like women do. Men's, uh, men speak with signals, with grunts, with looks, with body language. And a young girl watches that, and she learns to read that, and that's why that's so important, the nonverbal communication of a father. A young girl needs to learn that to read her dad's face, to see his expressions, his moods, She's thinking in her own mind, what does that mean? And how do I interpret that correctly? She doesn't say it that way, but that's what she's thinking. I can learn to read dad. And if she can learn to read dad, she'll learn to read her husband. Now, if you didn't grow up like that, or you didn't grow up with that, and you didn't have a dad that you could read, I want to say this to you. You need to understand, my silence doesn't mean I don't like you. You need to understand that about men. Their silence doesn't mean they don't like you because in their silence, you get bothered by that and you want them to talk and put it to words. You can put anything to words as a woman. You have the gift of communication. Man doesn't think that way. But the truth of the matter is, if you understand his silence, you won't be following him around the house saying, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with me. I'm just not you. I'm just not you. I'm wired differently than you. I respond differently than you. I don't cry about the things that you cry about. I'm not you. Doesn't mean I don't care. Doesn't mean I'm upset. Doesn't mean I don't love the child. It just means I'm different. That's why he made them male and female. 
A girl has to learn that when she's young. Or she'll be confused when she's married. So it's important, the presence of a father in a relationship with, her, with his children. Now today the question I want to answer is, does the gospel have a place for a flawed man to end up as a great father? That was my question as I studied it this week. Does the gospel have a place for a flawed man to end up as a great father? That's why I picked Jacob. Not only was he a terrible son, but he was a terrible father when he got started out. And I started studying the passage in 49, and I just realized I started thinking more about the life of Jacob than I thought about the blessings he's put on his children, so I'll do that one some other time. But the truth of the matter is you can start out struggling and self-consumed and end up a good dad. End up a good dad. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to kind of learn about God. You can be misguided, confused. You can be and do some dumb things. You can make mistakes. And the truth is, you can still end up being a great dad. Just because you came from dysfunction doesn't mean you can't learn how to function. And, and you have to learn that as a father. You can be a reject. You can make mistakes. You can half fail. You can get locked up in prison. You can have done some dirty deals in your life. You could have got a girl pregnant at some point. You can be raised on the wrong side of the tracks, and still your life is recyclable. Still your life is recyclable. That's, that's a beautiful thing to know uh, that, that that can happen in your life. It's possible, it's possible to be healed and restored, to feel your way, to, to work your way, to forgive your way, to cry your way, to apologize your way to being a great dad. You can do it. You can do it. And how do you know? Because you can be a witness of God's grace. You can be a witness to God's grace in your life. And the truth of that is there's not a man who walked in here today that doesn't have a story to tell. It's just a matter of rising above your difficulties, letting Christ work through you, and, and pulling out that new man that he put inside of you, that you could have victory in your life and let God's story kind of continue in what he wants to do through you. So I looked, at, I looked at the life of Jacob. I ended up just looking at his whole life, and I've studied it so many times, where I went back and just thought it through as a father. And so you can look at all these generational curses that are on Jacob. Now think about these. Think about the generational curses that are on you. His granddad, Abraham, was a liar. His grandmother, Sarah, controlled her husband. His dad, Isaac, was a liar. His mom, Rebecca, was a deceiver. And his uncle, her brother, was a trickster, a conniver, and a con artist. All these generational curses came into his bloodline to him. And he started living out what he saw. He saw in his grandpa, he saw in his dad. He started living it out. And he became, would you guess, a trickster, a con artist. He had a whole lot of problems in his life. He'd lie to you to your face before he'd tell you the truth. You know anybody like that? They'll lie to your face and you, you don't even, can't even pick up on it, but you sense some ain't right about that. You know what I like to consider Jacob as? He's catch kind of slick. He's like slick Willie in the town. 
He's like his greasy uncle, just greasy when you get around him. And the truth of the matter is, all these generational curses come into his bloodline. And wherever Jacob went, he just stirred things up and things were a mess around Jacob. He stole a birthright. He ripped off the firstborn blessing from his brother. He fell out with his brother and didn't talk to him for 20 years. Is there anybody in here that hasn't talked to their brother in 20 years? He fell out with him. His brother wouldn't talk to him. He just slick. So you look at his life and you look at the mess he made. You look at the things that went wrong in his life and yet somehow God was still going to work and use him for incredible purposes. I love that. Genesis 32, if you want to turn there, I'm just going to read this story because I love it. In Genesis chapter 32, he fought with God till God crippled him. He, he went to a small mountaintop. I've been there in the river, near the river Jabbok. And, and he went to that mountaintop, and he got in a fight with the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Have you ever been in a fight with the Lord Jesus Christ? He got into a fight with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in chapter 32, verse 24 of Genesis, Jacob was left alone, and a man, a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And Jacob said, Jacob, he said, your name shall be no longer Jacob, but Israel. You have striven with God. The, the, the Hebrew word there is prince. You have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel. For he said, I have seen God face to face. I have seen God face to face and have been preserved. Now the sun rose up upon him just as he crossed over Peniel, and he was limping on his thigh. <laughs> I am absolutely amazed at this story. I love it. I've read it so many times, and I reflect on it so many times. I want to reflect on it again. Here's, here's this man, and he fought with God till God crippled him. And God said, your name is now Israel. You're going to be a prince, a striver. You're going to strive till you succeed like a prince does. But the problem is, Jacob, you're not acting like who you are. You're acting like Jacob the deceiver, but that's not who you are. You're not a liar. That's not you. You are Israel, Jacob. You are a prince, and you have power with God. You have power with God. He goes on to tell him later in the chapter, he said, you will produce 12 sons and 12 tribes of Israel. Now that strikes me. This deceiver, this con artist, is going to produce the 12 sons of the tribes of Israel. See, Abraham, his purpose was to produce the seed. Isaac just passed on the seed, but Jacob multiplied the seed. He multiplied the seed. Because the point is that everybody, every father has a role to play in order to become the man they're supposed to be. Everybody has a role. 
And God wrestled all night with Jacob. And in the morning, God had to hit him in the hip to break him. Now, here's, here's what I'm thinking about, okay? Has God ever had to hit you to break you? Has God ever had to hit you to break you? That's, that's a great question to ask yourself. Has he had to break you down in some area of your life? Man, he just came in and he, he brought something in your life. And I mean, it just, it was, it was like you got the socket pulled out of your leg. He just broke you. Some difficulty he put you up against. He let the stock market crash on you. Have you gone through something where only God could hit you to break you? What do you think he's up to? What do you think he was up to? Dave, or Jacob, he was up to a lot of things. He used people, just what people could get from, for him. He lied about people. He lied to people. He lived two lives. Oh, he looked one way to his family, but another way he was a whole other person. He's so opinionated. So opinionated. You couldn't talk to him. You just had to let the conversation die. And God broke it. God broke it. And from that day forth, he limped off the mountain. He limped off the mountain. He'd never forget the night he wrestled with God. And now he's limping. God did something in his life. And he knew it. Now he limps. Everywhere he goes. Everybody else, the sign they've been with God is they're praising, they're singing, they see God working in their life. But your sign that you've been with God is you're limping. <laughs> you're limping. God got a hold of you. God got a hold of you. God had a plan for your life. Whatever, whatever he has to do to take the fight out of you, got so much fight in you and he's going to take it out of you. Why? Why would God want to take the fight out of me? So he can make a legacy of your fatherhood. So he can make a legacy of your fatherhood. But he's got to get the fight out of you. He's got to get that fight out of you. So there he is. He limped the rest of his life and even it may be what prevented him from getting to the birth of his child from Rachel. Because if you remember that story, she was in the back room with her handmaid, and she was delivering the baby. And while she's delivering the baby, she's losing a lot of blood, and her life is ebbing away from her, and finally the baby is born. And as she's dying, the Bible says, she says, name the child Benoni. Benoni, which in our language means son of my sorrow. Name the child, son of my sorrow. And then she died. So Jacob, he didn't get there in time. By the time the child's born and named, he's not even in the back room yet. He comes limping to the back, and he finally gets in the back room, and she's dead. She died delivering that baby. And then Jacob looks, and he hears the handmaiden said, she called her Benoni, son of my sorrow. And Jacob says, oh no, oh no, 
It's not going to be Benoni. It's going to be Benjamin. Not son of my sorrow. No, no, no. It's going to be son of my right hand. Son of my right hand. That's who that little boy is going to be. Son of my might. And because the father said it, because the father said it, the mom said one thing, but the father said it, Benjamin became the son of his strength. Son of his strength. It's important you note that. If you study the Bible in this term, son of my strength or son of my right hand, it's a term used for kings. It's a term used for kings. It's a term used for Almighty God. When he rules, he rules with the king as a king, the son, or, or, or with his strength of his right hand. That's, that's the term that's often translated that way through the Bible. So it's interesting to note that it's the term used for kings, and that's the prophecy over Benjamin's life, if you will, by naming him that. And the first of many kings that came to Israel, the first one was Saul, the son of Benjamin, a Benjamite. That's no accident. He'll be the son of my right hand, Saul. And there were other kings that were from the tribe of Benjamin as well, most of them from Judah, but they came from Benjamin's tribe as well. Not only that, the apostle Paul, who was the son of his right hand, with all of his strength, brought the gospel, the New Testament, into the first century of Christianity by writing most of the books of the New Testament. He was the son of a Benjamite. Son of my right hand. It's interesting to note these kind of connections. And they all came out of Benjamin. They all came out of Benjamin. Why? Now listen to me. Because you are what your father says you are. You are what your father says you are. Now, that ought to hit you at a level in your heart that at this level you could define yourself by how your father spoke and acted and treated you. You are what your father says you are. Not your mom. Your father. You are what your father says you are. Now, that's at this level. That's, I want you thinking at that level, but I also want to notch it up now, and I want you to think at another level, a higher level, Okay? Because when you understand that in the Bible, it's not just talking about this level. It's also talking about another level, an identity level. Now, hear it from an identity, a higher level. You are what your Father in heaven says you are. Now, what you're struggling with most of your life is you're fighting this level, what your Father down here says, and what your Father in heaven says, who you really are. Now, I find this interesting uh, to, to, to really understand this. I'm, I'm just stay here for a minute here on you are what your father says you are. Over the last several years, uh, one of our members, Phil Boyston, sitting up here in the front, he started making this collection of all these things you are, your identity in Jesus Christ. And uh, to this point, he's got about 101 of them. Okay, so every time he finds a new one in the Bible, he sends it to me, emails, I found another thing we are in Jesus Christ, and, and what he's given us is identity. And so I went back and read that list again, and I thought, that is so cool. This is, 
This is who God's really saying you are. Now, if you want that list, he'll email it to you because he'd love to talk to you about it, okay? 101 things that you are in Christ. And it's beautiful. And uh, I was just looking it over again recently, and he writes this. This is from theologian Phil Boyston. (laughs) Born again, a person at the moment of faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's going to list a few things that you are. You are justified, forgiven, saved for eternity. You inherit new life through a reconciled relationship with the triune God. The person will begin an eternal journey of transformation into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ because God has exchanged the old for the new. Then he lists out on this email 100 things you are in Christ. I've read them all. I've read them all. I've I've kind of looked them over. And I'll just mention a few. I'm not going to read all 101 to you, okay? Adopted, chosen, appointed for good fruit, shielded from the evil one, complete in him, power, assured all is for my good. Uh, God's love is poured into my heart, ambassadors for Christ. And the list goes on and on and on. And it's beautiful to think about the fact that you are what your Father in heaven says you are. Now, what your struggle is is between those two fathers, Okay, because I want you to think it at the heavenly level, all right, because that's where you really got to find your identification in Christ. But I also want to come back now to this lower level and talk about this for a minute. You are what your father says you are. It wasn't what his mama said about him. That's not what stuck. It was what his father said about him. That made him who he became to be, what his dad said about him. Jacob canceled out what his deceased mother called him. Your name is not going to be born out of my sorrows. Your name shall be Benjamin, Benjamin. That's that's why we need fathers involved in our life. We need fathers involved in our life to cancel out the sorrow, the sorrow of children who've been wounded. Not son of the sorrow. Don't allow the wounds. Don't allow the wounds of your life to get into your children. Take your limping self back there. and say, no, he will excel. He will excel. You are the son of my strength. Let me just take it further, okay? This is the way you ought to hear it, okay? There is a king in you, and I see it, son. There's a king in you, and speak it into him. Speak it into your children. There's a king in you. I I, I don't care where you are, You just need the right person in your life to call the king out in you. I mean, look at his life. Jacob's life was helter-skelter. He was all over the place. But he's still God's man. Still God's man. So Jacob comes to the end of his life, and the Bible says he sits up in the bed. He's like at the end of his life, he's dying but he stops dying for just a minute and he tells the death angel to wait over in the corner for a minute because he gets strength back, just like you've experienced with people on their deathbed. They just pop back 
and for 10, 12 hours, they're back in, engaged in everything. Man, you ought to take advantage of that time if you're a person who gets that opportunity to do that. That's what happened to Jacob here. He popped back up in his bed and he strengthened himself and said, I'm not going to die yet. And then after he gives the, the blessings to his children, he gets back in the bed, he puts his feet up in the bed, he lays back, and he dies. That's an opportunity God gave him. Maybe one you get one day, but I don't know. But I'm just saying, he sits up in the bed, he strengthens himself, he gathers all his boys around the bed, the 12 of them, because they're his legacy. They're his legacy. Now we see the old Jacob. He's not confused anymore. He's not angry. He's not conniving. He's not deceiving. But we see his relationship with his children. And one of them that jumps out to me is, is Joseph. That, that had to be something to be able to gather around his deathbed and see Joseph. Because he lost his son Joseph. For almost 20 years, 20 years he lost his son. He thought he was dead. That's what he thought. But he found his son Joseph, and there's Joseph standing at his deathbed. Joseph, uh, Jacob spent 20 years of depression over his kid. You're going to spend 20 years of depression over your kid and lose focus on what God was doing. He was never dead, but he believed he was dead, and therefore he couldn't go on with his life. He just, he just went into depression for 20 years. And then after the end of that 20 years, he finds out his boy's alive, and he is restored with his son. And when he sees, J when he sees Joseph, I'm telling you, if you understand the Old Testament at all, it is like a love story between a father and a son. And when, when Joseph told his dad, I'm alive, dad. I'm alive. Reconciliation was complete. It, it really is the greatest love story of the Old Testament. You know what the greatest love story of your life is? Connecting with your children. That's the greatest love story of your life. To connect to your children. To connect back. If it's broken, to connect back with your son. To connect back with your daughter. I mean, he found Joseph, his legacy, his future. And once he got it back, he said, I'm not going to lose this again. I'm not going to lose this again. Now, I'm just going to do a little aside here just for some of you because I know you live in this realm. Some of you need to hear this. Get your child back. Get your child back. I don't care what you have to do. I don't care how angry your son is. I don't care how much she cries with tears against you and says she doesn't want you in her life. She really does. Fight for them. Get them back. We have one who is in prison. Her son is in prison for the rest of his life. She drives three hours to a prison once every two weeks to see him. Hasn't been able to see him in two years because of COVID. But she's picked up her schedule again. See, I don't care if they're in prison. You got to get them back. You got to get them back. I don't care if they're in a drag queen show. 
you got to find your son. Now, I will say this, because I've talked to many about this. Don't compromise God's word and what it's done in your life. You can't compromise the word and say, well, no, no, no. You know the truth. You stand on it, you stand on it, and you don't compromise it. But you find your daughter. And you find your son. And connect with that. All right? Now, now here, the scene is ending for Jacob. In a few moments, he will die. But really, this passage is a moment of victory because all his sons are gathered around him and everything the devil tried to steal from him through his whole life, a man of God, God gave it back to him. God gave it back to him. It's beautiful. He prophesied to all 12 of his boys. Originally, this message was going to be about the prophecies but I just don't have time for that. But he prophesied to Ben, he prophesied to Joseph, he prophesied to Judah and Simeon and Levi and Reuben and Issachar and Naphtali and Asher and Ephraim. He prophesied to every one of them. And you know what he was doing in this passage? He was telling them who they are. This is who you are, boys. I've seen it. I've watched your whole life. I want to tell you who you are. And that's what he's doing with his kids. He's telling them who they are. Have you told your kids who they are? Have you told them? They want to hear it. I'm from mom. And then when he was finished telling them who they were, he told them who he was. Who he was. He said, my grandpa was Abraham. My mom was Sarah. They were buried in the cave of Machpelah. And that's where I want to be buried. My, my dad was Isaac, and my mom was Rebecca. They're buried in the cave of Machpelah, and that's where I want to be buried. Put me there, sons. I want to be there because that's my legacy. I'm about to go on a journey to my father's and to my mother's, and I want to go there, and I want to be buried there. But before I go, I want every one of you boys to know You shall prevail. You shall prevail. That's what you tell your kids. That's what you tell your kids, Dad. You shall prevail. You shall prevail. So I want to say to every father here today, don't give up on your story. I know, I know it's complicated. I know it's complicated. But it's God's story too. It's God's story too. Don't you give up on it. All right, let's pray. Praise team's going to come. They're going to sing a song. Before they do, here's what I want to do. I want to do it in the last service. I want to do it here. Everybody stand to their feet at this time. Just stand to your feet. While you're standing to your feet, I want to invite... I want to invite the fathers to this thrust here at the front. And I want to pray a blessing over the fathers that come. And if you're one of those dads, I want you to come. I want you to step out right now and just come as close as you can to the front of this auditorium around this thrust. And I'm going to pray a blessing. I'm going to pray a prayer over your life. Just come. We'll just take a moment. You want this prayer blessing over you? I want to put it on you. I'm going to pray to a heavenly father about every earthly father here at this altar. 
And if you can, just kind of let's get all connected. So just put your hand on the back of another, back of one of the men in front of you or someone in front, just where we can all be touching. Just wanted to, I, I love to do that. I don't know why I love to do it. I just love to do it. All right. I just like the connection. I'm going to pray over each of you right now. Father, I pray for every father here in this room. Young, old, executive dad, workaholic, teenage dad. Dads with secrets. Dad, I know we're all trying to be somebody. and We got our camouflage over our weaknesses. And sometimes we feel like we're never going to get there. So here this morning, Lord, I just want to say to every father here, I want to remind them the God of Jacob is their God. And Father, I ask right now, with all the gifts they may get today, or they may not get any gifts, I want you to give them a gift. I want you to give them the gift of finding out who they are. And I want to lift them up right now for that. There's a prince inside of them. Remind them it'll take their whole life to be a good dad. It's going to cost them their presence. I pray for their weaknesses that push them into the corner. Let God arise and their enemies be scattered. I bring that before you, Father, right now. I pray your joy over them. I pray your peace over them. I pray your love over them. I pray your strength over them, your spirit over them. Give them them a discerning spirit over their children, whether they're grown or whether they're young. God, I ask you to invade us. Invade us, Father. I pray this. In the name of Jesus, may they never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen and amen. You may go back to your seats. Thank you for coming this morning to this altar. Just before they sing, I'm just going to pronounce a blessing over everybody. I just feel really blessed to bless everybody today. But I'm just going to do this right now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen and amen. Let's join in and celebrate in song at this time.